Welcome to today's edition of the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm your host, Lori Boyer. In addition to feature reports, I'll bring you a look at regional and national agricultural news. And the show starts right after this. Agroplante is the leading manufacturer in specialty products. Agroplante formulates products that rise to the challenge of today's growing conditions. Saline and sodic soils reduce crop yield and cause significant crop losses. Agroplante developed Cation EX5 Plus with growers in mind to manage soil salinity. With multiple years of research, Cation EX5 Plus has proven to be an excellent source of calcium and an effective soil salinity manager. Run it through drip irrigation without any issues. Simplify your application method with innovative and efficient formulations. Alleviate salinity stress with Cat Ion EX5 Plus. Agroplante. Imagination. Innovation. Science in action. Leadership from three of the nation's most progressive organic growing operations have been confirmed as panelists for the second of two keynote presentations at the upcoming Organic Grower Summit 2023, presented by Western Growers and OPN. Grower Roundtable, the state of organic growing, will be moderated by Walt Duflack, Senior Vice President of Innovation for Western Growers. Featuring candid commentary, the thought-provoking keynote presentation will explore how leaders in organic production are dealing with hot-button topics, including supply chain issues, inflation, labor sustainability, new innovations, and technologies. The sixth annual OGS is designed to provide information vital to organic growers and producers, including an overview of the opportunities and challenges in the production of organic fresh food. The newly announced keynote presentation is part of an extensive educational program designed to inform and engage organic producers, their service providers, and supply chain partners. The announcement of the Grower Roundtable highlights a robust educational program for OGS 2023, which includes eight educational educational sessions, and a pair of keynote presentations. In the other keynote presentation, the annual Grower of the Year Award will be awarded to this year's recipient, who is Rod Braga, President and CEO of Braga Fresh. For more information, log on to OrganicGrowerSummit.com. The Carpophilus beetle is a known pest of almonds in Australia, where they have been dealing with infestations for almost a decade. More recently, there have been reports of similar beetles infesting walnuts in Argentina and Italy. Now, California can be added to that list. Beetle infestations were observed in almonds and pistachio orchards earlier this fall. Specimens were collected by the University of California Cooperative Extension and were confirmed as Carpophilus by the California Department of Food and Agriculture, according to Houston Wilson, Associate Cooperative Extension Specialist in the Department of Entomology at the University of California, Riverside. So far, the presence of the beetle has been confirmed from orchards in Stanislaus, Merced, Madera, and Kings Counties. Wilson and colleagues are now conducting a broader regional survey of orchards throughout the rest of the San Joaquin Valley. The insect may already be widespread as the damage it causes has been seen for several years in the San Joaquin Valley, that according to the California Cooperative Extension in Stanislaus County. Research from Australia has determined this pest overwinters in unharvested mummy nuts. In the summer, adults move into the tree canopy where they deposit eggs onto the developing new crop nuts. The beetle larvae that emerged then bore into the nut, leaving a unique oval-shaped hole surrounded by a pile of fine frass. Little is known about this beetle. It is very new. The extension service is emphasizing the importance of crop sanitation for controlling the pest. 
The California Climate and Agriculture Network has released Tools for Transformation, Cultivating Climate Resilience in 2030 and Beyond, which identifies the most important actions needed to achieve the state's 2030 climate and biodiversity goals in order to set California agriculture on a path to climate resistance. CalCan developed over 50 policy recommendations in the report centered around four key themes, whole farm solutions, investment in people and knowledge, multi-stakeholder collaboration, and addressing systemic inequities. Tools for Transformation was developed in conjunction with over 60 issue area experts, a team of 16 reviewers, and numerous reports and peer-reviewed studies. Notably, the report also calls for significant investments of approximately $1 billion annually for a total of $7 billion between now in 2030 to strengthen California's farmers and ranchers in their climate-resilient agriculture efforts. For more information, log on to caagricultureclimateplatform.org. Wet vegetable crops started recently in Fresno. The crop is looking really nice, according to Jay Angelo of Bologna Farms. He says it's on par with some of the best crops they've had in Fresno for a couple of years. Those Fresno crops include romaine, red leaf, green leaf, and butter lettuce. Bologna Farms also has spinach and romaine hearts from its Baja, Mexico crop, and bok choy is also being harvested. The season started in this growing region on time, and Angelo attributes the good look of the crop to a consistent growing season. The lettuce season out of Fresno is a shorter one and will go until around Thanksgiving. After that, production transitions to thermal in the Coachella Valley. As for overall demand, Angelo says it's moving well but not great, though demand is anticipated to strengthen. Maybe in the third week of November, around the week of the 13th, demand will pick up because of Thanksgiving, he says. Meanwhile, pricing compared to last year at this time, a season that saw a number of challenges looks very different this year. Last year, he said you had historical prices at this time. This year, it's on the lower end of the price range for these crops right now. The California walnut harvest is now in full swing and fresh premium quality golden walnuts have started arriving in India just in time for the festive season. Situated in California's Central Valley, a region almost entirely enclosed by majestic mountains, walnuts are an integral part of an agricultural tapestry, which includes over 250 other crops. When it comes to English walnuts, California reigns supreme, producing 99% of all U.S. walnut production. With over 4,000 walnut growers, most of which are family-owned farms with multi-generation generational legacies, California's walnut industry is a testament to dedication and tradition. The families maintain the highest standards of cultivation and processing, adhering to stringent federal and state food safety regulations. Pamela Graviet, Senior Director of Global Programs for the California Walnut Commission and Board, said the Indian market has a love for high-quality foods and rich flavors. Nutrient-dense walnuts should be a top choice, and it remains our constant effort to raise awareness about California-grown walnuts and their multi-generational family farms dedicated to delivering this wholesome and delectable product. For over a century, California's walnut growers and processors, known as handlers, have cultivated this industry with a focus on land stewardship, public health, and community welfare. Their unwavering commitment to producing this nutritious food source is matched by their active pursuit of innovative technologies and sustainable practices to reduce their environment impact. She adds that innovation is synonymous with California's walnut industry, both in the orchard and in preparation and packaging of walnuts for global consumption. California walnuts are renowned for their mild, earthy, nutty, buttery flavor and unparalleled texture, setting them apart as a delicious snack or as a prized ingredient for both sweet and savory culinary creations, according to the commission.
A recent study published in the journal Science of the Total Environment focuses on how climate change will affect three major insect pests that are expected to surge as temperatures rise. The three insects in the study, coddling moth, peach twig borer, and oriental fruit moth, are a threat to the state's peaches, walnuts, and almonds. Jalendra Rial, an IPM advisor in Stanislaus County, who co-authored the study with scientists at UC Merced, the USDA, UCANR, and the California Climate Hub at UC Davis, said this is the second study of this type focusing on pests and climate change, with the first one focusing on navel orangeworm. So we're kind of trying to see whether, you know, as we see the climate change, it's happening. As we all know, insects are highly dependent on the external outside temperature. And so because of that, we're certainly curious how that might impact the insect pest and their population and population dynamics and those aspects of things. And so we started working on, um, like a two years ago, we published a paper looking at the impact on navel orange one. And um, if you are um, not crop growers or any way you are related to not crop industry, then you definitely familiar with the navel orange which which uh, which is uh, the biggest threat. And this year, it's it's definitely a terrible in terms of the damage it caused. So we kind of essentially looked at how the climate impact navel orange overall population. Uh, in terms of when they begin to start their activity in the springtime, how long it takes for them to complete the generations, and then whether temperature, increased temperature will impact on those. And uh, ultimately, um, now we routinely see the fourth generation of navel one jump. And uh, based on this previous work that we found that as early as 2040, we likely see uh, the fifth generation in the southern portion of the valley. Um, so that's even not 20 years from now. And uh, we see some indication of that uh, all, already. Rial said the study did indeed determine there will be impacts on the population of pests and number of generations that need to be considered for future pest management. He says the goal of the study isn't to create panic, rather to get the industry thinking about the long-term impacts and how to prepare for them. It's more about because the climate change and its impact, it's a kind of like a slow process. It's it never happens like overnight or within a one or two years. It's kind of like a slow, slow process. So the the really intention of our work is to see in a long term how likely we'll see these changes happening and uh, how much extent potentially these changes will happen in the future. And so in that case, we'll be kind of more prepared in terms of the doing research for the industry, uh, creating awareness to the grower, pest control advisors, um, and uh, kind of educating the entire community about these things, what is happening and what can be done in the future. Since these pests are cold-blooded animals who can't regulate their own body temperature, warmer conditions will be ideal for these type of pests, says Rial. And so, I mean, if you generally thinking about the, the, the change in the climate, which is mostly the most important factor is temperature, having a higher temperature, having higher number of the degree days, heat units, that would fasten or that would increase their activity in terms of reproduction and activity feeding behavior. That brings those, uh, the number of the days that they need to complete one, one generation to shorten. So it will become shorter 
um, number of days it takes for the ones in the sun to complete. And because of that, and also on top of that, we have warmer winter. So they begin their activity earlier than usual. And so when you have that gap where there is earlier activity begins in the spring, it takes less time to complete one generation. And if you think about that for the whole uh, year perspective, that's that's how there is likelihood that extra generation can happen. And in this case, we see um, for these three insect, carling moth, peace twig borer, and oriental fruit moth, based on this latest work, um, we see that uh, we'll likely see uh, about 1.5 generations increase by the end of the century. He said that while the end of the century sounds like a long time away, in terms of planning and the average life production of trees, it's really not that far. And that's a key part of the educational aspect of the study that scientists want people to be thinking about. In terms of planning something right now, um, it will take time for production. And uh, when, when, when somebody plan to plant the almond orchard right now, that we, we need to think about 20 years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years from now on. So this is, if you think that in that perspective, it's not that long time. As the issue of more prevalent pests grows with the warming trends, the authors of the study hope it will help growers consider how to improve their IPM practices in the future. Riel said he believes this study will be interesting for not only growers, but also to PCAs and even to other scientists as they look to do more applied work in the future to develop integrated models to manage these insects on a day-to-day -day basis and to prepare the industry to focus on what will need to be done in the future. And the most importantly, I would say that we're not also trying to point out that it is what is happening. Our effort has also been and will be on how we can help growers and pest control advisors to mitigate these measures that is changing, that we're seeing. One tool Rial said he hopes will prepare industry stakeholders is a website called calagroclimate.org, which was created to aid growers and PCAs along the process. Where there are different models that we um, we use in a pest, as well as there are heat advisory model, frost advisory, crop phenology model, pest phenology model. There are multiple models that we put it there where pest control advisors can go uh, input their temperature data or find their location where the orchard is located, and they will be actually be able to retrieve the temperature data from that location and get the prediction of these um, the pest. And the same thing goes to frost advisory and other things. The full study titled Climate Change Impacts on Insect Pests for High-Value Specialty Crops in California can be read at sciencedirect.com. For My Ag Life, this is Kristen Platts. We're waking up to a new dawn in agriculture, a better way farmers stop working the soil and start working with it. At Huma, our carbon-rich, humate-based products improve soil health and fertility, deliver nutrients more efficiently, and reduce crop input costs. Welcome to Humix Solutions with a human touch. Visit Huma.us to learn more. An El Nino weather pattern is expected to cover the United States this winter. USDA meteorologist Brad Rippey discusses how this weather pattern will translate to agriculture water supplies. 
that some of the biggest reservoirs, especially those in the Colorado River Basin and in the Rio Grande, remain critically low following a generation of drought going back 20 to 25 years or more. Rippey says that El Nino could mean drier than normal conditions in parts of the Pacific Northwest. We'll have to keep an eye on the Columbia River Basin and some of the smaller waterways in the Northwest for potential signs of developing drought or intensifying drought. As for Kansas, Oklahoma and Texas, he says it most likely will be a wetter than normal winter. The Israel-Hamas war poses small direct risk to global fertilizer supply and demand, but should the conflict escalate, higher oil and natural gas prices could push prices higher. Rabobank Farm Inputs analyst Sam Taylor said Israel accounts for about 7% of global potash exports and 3% of phosphate exports. The potash and phosphate rock resources are mostly located in the Negev Desert, more than 60 miles from the Gaza Strip, where most of the fighting is taking place. Everything seems to be functioning and flowing, Taylor said. However, Within the context of a broader mobilization, there is risk in the future that there could be some disruptions to logistics to manufacturing, but there's nothing to report now. An accompanying Rabobank research report notes that half of the country's potash exports depart from the Mediterranean port of Ashdod, which is much closer to the heart of the conflict, but there's also another shipping option available on the Red Sea. Global fertilizer markets also have sufficient supplies and other major producers like Russia, Belarus, and Germany to fill gaps that could arise from the Israel conflict. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service issued a proposal to update the National Wildlife Refuge System planning policies. Farm News reporter Chad Smith has more on including agriculture in the potential changes. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service recently proposed new planning policies for national wildlife refuges, but unfortunately that document did not include any mentions of the benefits of working with agriculture. Shelby Hagenauer, Senior Director of Government Affairs for the American Farm Bureau Federation, says agriculture is a key part of national wildlife refuge activity. It's called cooperative agriculture, and this is a long-standing practice. Farmers and ranchers partner with a refuge to help meet wildlife management goals. In some refuges, agricultural activities were identified as a primary purpose when Congress established that refuge. It's important that this partnership is maintained in new policy documents. Hagenauer talks about what happens if agricultural uses were left out of the upcoming final guidance document. If the draft documents are not amended, it would be a missed opportunity for the service to send a signal to individual refuge managers about the benefits of agricultural activities on refuges. Agriculture on refuges both provides and improves wildlife habitat and the food resources for that wildlife. And that's consistent with current and proposed refuge planning goals. Grazing is an important management tool to keep invasive species in check, stimulate establishment of native vegetation, and also decrease fire risk by reducing fuel loads on a refuge. Now that the public comment period is closed, she talks about the next steps for FWS in finishing this guidance. The service will now review all the comments submitted, including those from Farm Bureau, along with comments they received during conversations with state agencies and tribes. They will then issue the final policies, and those will be used across the refuge system for years, possibly decades. So we encourage the service to include the importance of agriculture as part of these final management policies. Chad Smith, Washington. 
The U.S. Department of Agriculture's Agricultural Marketing Service has awarded more than $32 million for 98 grant projects to expand and strengthen local and regional food systems and increase the availability of locally grown agricultural products. The funding will be distributed through the local agricultural market programs, farmers market and local food promotion programs, and a regional food system partnerships grant program. These grant programs support local and regional food producers by broadening market opportunities such as farmers markets, local food hubs, and farm-to-institution programs according to USDA Secretary for Marketing and Regulatory Programs, Jenny Lester Moffitt. Not only do these channels provide consistent and profitable revenue streams to farmers, they also increase consumer access to fresh locally sourced foods across the nation, she says. USDA's latest milk production report shows production in the 24 major states during September totaled 17.5 billion pounds, down slightly from September of 2022. August revised production at 18.1 billion pounds was down 0.7% from August of 2022. The August revision represented a decrease of 73 million pounds, or 0.4%, from last month's preliminary production estimate. Production per cow in the 24 major states averaged 1,960 pounds for September, three pounds above September of 20. 2022. The number of milk cows on farms in the 24 major states was 8.91 million head, 16,000 head less than September of 2022, and 2,000 head less than August of 2023. Milk production in the United States during the July through September quarter totaled 56.1 billion pounds, down 0.7% from the July through September quarter last year. The average number of milk cows in the United States during the quarter was 9.38 million head, 41,000 head less than the April to June quarter and 33,000 had less than the same period last year. Syngenta Group was again recognized as one of the globe's top five leading employers in a 2023 Science Careers Top Employers Survey. Syngenta Group employs 59,000 people across more than 100 countries and works towards the challenging goal of feeding the 8 billion people on Earth. A Syngenta spokesperson says they are excited that Syngenta Group is again being named as the number one agricultural employer. Recently, Syngenta Seeds held a grand opening for its Research and Development Innovation Center in Malta, Illinois, which joins a connected, modern ecosystem of more than 150 Syngenta R&D and production sites worldwide. The company says it exemplifies its $1.48 billion annual investment globally. Syngenta Group registered in Shanghai, China, and with its management headquarters in Switzerland, includes four business units. Syngenta Crop Protection, headquartered in Switzerland, Syngenta Seeds, headquartered in the United States, Adama, headquartered in Israel, and Syngenta Group, headquartered in China. JCS Marketing is your number one way to connect with the ag industry. Through print magazines, digital media, podcasts, and live and virtual events, JCS Marketing has the reach to inform, educate and influence growers in the western united states everywhere you go you see west coast nut magazine on every one of my customers tables so that tells you everything that's that it's there so they're reading our my ag life platform includes podcast interviews and digital articles for busy professionals on the go Our live events, continuing education webinars, and virtual conferences help growers connect with leading researchers and industry leaders. Let JCS Marketing help you connect. That will wrap up today's show. You've been listening to the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm Lori Boyer. From all of us here at the JCS Marketing team, thank you for listening. (laughs) 